Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 126. This week's episode features one of my absolute favorite photographers hailing from the country of Scotland, Alistair Benn. Alistair has been teaching landscape photography since 2009. He has a very refreshing approach and a questioning mind that has formed the foundation of his new photography company, Expressive Photography. Alistair is pushing back against the same old teaching approaches used for decades. Alistair and I covered a lot of really fun ground this week, including his journey as a landscape photographer, his new company, Expressive Photography, his upcoming partnerships with amazing photographers such as Alex Noriega, Hans Strand, Ryan Dyer, and Adam Gibbs, how established workshop teaching techniques might inhibit creativity, homogenization in landscape photography, reconnecting with the landscape, and a lot more. Over on Patreon this week, Alistair asks a deep question, why did you get into photography? And he also answers another deep question, are emotional people more creative? Stay tuned through the show to learn about upcoming guests and other really cool things that I'm excited to share with you as the listeners. Okay, let's get to the show. Mr. Ben, it's so cool to finally have you on the podcast. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this very much. Awesome. Yeah, man, I've been, I admittedly have been a big fan of your work for many years. Well, you know, less of the less of the thanks and just send money. Okay, sure. Um, you, <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> Joking apart, that's very kind of you to say thank you. <laughs> Well, actually, it's funny. I talked to somebody on the phone today who said they signed up for one of your workshops. So yeah, um, it, so it's, that's that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's really good. Um, and the fact that he already hangs out with some really amazing photographers is a really nice compliment. Actually, he's he's coming over to Scotland to shoot some forests uh, in the fall of twenty twenty. Uh, so it's only fourteen months away. But uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm kind of looking forward to that already because he seems like a really nice guy. Yeah, definitely. Well, cool. So I always like to start out the show with, with you just kind of telling listeners a little bit about yourself so they can kind of get a picture of who you are and kind of what you're about. But then also, if you can kind of follow that up with how kind of how did you get into photography? Okay. Uh, well, I'm uh, Scottish um, from my accent. You can probably tell. Uh, I was brought up in the sort of southern highlands of Scotland and grew up in a family who really appreciated nature. I had a, an elder brother. My oldest brother is a geologist. My middle brother is a, a, an environmental guy who's dealing with bird protection and wildlife protection. Um, so it was a kind of every time we went hiking in the hills, I was getting told about the geology and how these landscapes formed and then everything that was running about and flying about in it. Uh, so I, I kind of grew up with a very inquisitive um, and questioning mind, I guess. So, yeah, hanging about in the Highlands of Scotland was a really nice playground to just sort of be in nature. And then I got into rock climbing really heavily when I was a student. Um, and I'm 52 years old. I currently live in Norway. Um, and I'm moving back to Scotland in the fall uh, with my partner and Christine. Uh, so we're super excited about moving back to the West Coast. I've 
it's been uh, I kind of got back into photography in my 30s um, and mainly bird photography. I was living in the Far East at the time and birding has been a really important thing in my life uh, since I was a tiny, tiny kid. Uh, so mm. I was really into the whole concept of photographing birds. So that was my first love was kind of chasing birds around the rainforests of uh, Southeast Asia um, and then kind of got interested in landscape photography just from more of a while traveling. And it was a trip in Banff in 2003 that kind of sparked my whole interest in the landscape side of things. Um, so when I started thinking I was in international finance was my main career back then. Uh, and when I decided that I was spending way more time making photographs than investing money, uh, I kind of started thinking about becoming a pro and realized that landscapes was probably a more realistic uh, avenue to walk down than bird photography because I was living in China at that time. Um, so I got more heavily into landscapes and wrote a book on night photography. And that was my kind of transition into being a professional photographer. And then obviously with tours and workshops uh, that came after that. And then I wrote a bunch of other books. So education side of things is what really motivates me, uh, I suppose. Um, I want to understand why people make photographs. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think there's, there's quite a few things there that, that we can probably talk a little bit more about. Uh, why do Absolutely. I? Why am I into landscape photography? Because I love being in the landscape. That's first and foremost. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's the same as me. <laughs> well, that's good to hear because I think that that's the type of question these days that I think a lot of people will say that is the reason. But why then, when we're in the field, do so many of us feel frustrated and anxious and disappointed or? Uh, blaming nature for not meeting our expectations. You know, <laughs> we, we we go in there to supposedly have a great time in nature, but we end up coming away and feeling disappointed because we're measuring our time in nature by the images that we make rather than the time in nature being a thing in its own right. Uh, and the photographs are uh, somehow uh, a secondary part of that experience. No, I, well, I've, I've, definitely, I've definitely been there. I feel like... Um, I've definitely had that experience where I was frustrated because I spent, <clears throat> I invested so much time and energy and money to get to a location or whatever. And, and then, you know, my expectations of what I had in my mind were not met, but I think, I feel like that's more of a problem of managing one's expectations versus, and, and probably a little bit of like, what is your motivation for actually being there in the first place? Right. Well, I, th I think these these two things are interwoven like a plat um, in that as a professional photographer, I get to spend probably 260 days plus a year in the field. Um, and I think therefore I have a luxury to to take these experiences lightheartedly. Mm -hmm. um, I get I get paid to go into the landscape, so therefore I can go there. And if I don't make any photographs, I'm still making a living. Now that is very different from when I had a job and my time away in the field was a limited commodity. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was it was much easier to have expectations of the type of images that I was going to make or the weather that I hoped that was going to be there on that particular day. And I can totally empathize and sympathize with 
people with families, they've got kids at school, they get the weekend, they might have one morning a week or one morning a month where they can get to the coast or into the mountains. Um, and sure, if it's foggy and raining and you know you can't see any sea stacks out to sea or the mountains are shrouded, then sure, I think it's very easy to to feel despondent about that. Uh, so I, I sometimes I have to kind of correct myself in not getting too um, preachy about the Zen-like experience of being in the landscape with, without expectation. Well, I appreciate you um, saying that because I've heard that criticism from people before, you know, that, well, like, yeah, that's, that would be, I would probably think that way too, if I could spend 200 plus days a year right. out shooting. So I think it, but I feel like you can do both, right? Like, a, um, I think you can still manage your expectations, even if you only have a couple of days or weeks out of the year that you can be out taking photographs in nature. I think it's still possible. I'd like to think so. I think it is. Well, you know, um, if, you, if it, I, I agree, and and but that that goes for everything in life, um, because I I I think it's. Uh, I don't think we can separate our personal development and our evolution as people from our creativity and our uh, expressive nature. So um, how we uh, kind of develop creatively and artistically is very much going to be paralleled with how we're developing uh, emotionally and within the context of our kind of life. Uh, So I think it's, all of these, I mean, the word mindfulness is like <laughs> the most common word in in, in creative writing just now. Um, I know a, a number of my peers writing for these magazines, we, we're talking about mindfulness all the time. We're talking about flow states. We're talking about uh, Zen. We're talking about, uh, you know, being in the moment. And, and all of these things are absolutely the type of state that you can get into while making landscape photographs. Uh, however, there are many barriers to mindfulness and there are many barriers to finding flow states when we're out in the field. Um, and most of one of those is expectation without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, mm-hmm. Expectation will kill creativity because you're going out looking for something um, rather than allowing the landscape to talk to you or to just allow your your innate uh, inquisitiveness to kind of root out things that are speaking to you at that moment. Uh, another thing I talk about a lot on workshops is we're not the same all the time. Uh, I mean, this morning on my uh, uh, iPhone, sat in the airport writing emails, I was listening to an old Iron Maiden album from the 1980s. <laughs> and then on the plane when on the plane, when I was uh, reading my book, I was listening to Olafur Alnalds, a contemporary Icelandic composer, uh, and they couldn't be bigger poles apart. Now, <laughs> um, am I a metalhead or am I a contemporary classical uh, aficionado? You know, I'm both. And it just happened to be that at one moment I was happy listening to Iron Maiden and in another moment I was happy listening to cellos and pianos. So that if if you look on that within the the spectrum of landscape photography are you a wide angle dramatic sunlight uh crazy perspective shifting exposure blending focus stacking uh photoshop demon or are you a single black and white exposure uh over 15 minutes in the style of michael kenna you know you know it's 
using the word photography to try and describe what we do is just as 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 pointless as using the word music to try and explain people's oral preferences. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think I think these days we we get sucked into this. What are we? Um, and I I believe that I have a full spectrum of creative output. And a whole spectrum of things I'm interested in, whether it's guitar playing or reading books or bird watching or uh, soccer or whatever it might be. You know, there's a whole bunch of things I like doing, and landscape photography is just one of them, I guess. Sure. Well, kind of speaking to this whole idea of um, landscape photographers uh, falling into this trap. I don't. I don't want to talk about it negatively, but. Um, you know, this idea that you have expectations and you're disappointed in nature and your motivations for being there seem might be counter to maybe why you started photography when you started. How do you think we got here? Um, Probably two words, uh, which is social media. (laughs) Uh, I, I I think social media has done more to fuel expectations, peer pressure, popularity, external validation, um, and homogeny to a certain extent, Uh, popularity of certain locations, popularity of certain locations at certain times of the year. Um, Now, I don't condemn anybody for doing anything. You know, really, I'm a a very forgiving type of person, and I am actually quite non-judgmental. Some of my friends may argue with that. But what do they know? <laughs> um, they're just idiots. Um, but <laughs> um, I, I, I think all I can do is talk about landscape photography from my perspective. I, I know my journey. I know how much time I put into it. Um, I've had the luxury of allowing myself to have tens of thousands of hours every year to to focus either on technical learning or creative thinking or reading philosophy or or just going out in the landscape for a walk and finding things that interest me so I, i've i've kind of had this luxurious uh, last 15 years where my evolution has gone through classic education uh, in terms of reading about composition and, ter- and talking about these things as if they're um templates for landscape photography in a way that do this and you will make nice photographs mm-hmm. um so I, I think the way that photography has evolved from a, a film-based medium 40 years ago through the gradual evolution into digital and then there's been this massive explosion where the number of photographs that are taken on a daily basis now exceeds what was taken in a decade uh, in the 1970s. So the, the, just the sheer volume of photography and photographers, uh, whether it's people out there with iPhones or people out there with phase ones, it doesn't make a blind bit of difference. We're all shooting at things and pointing at things that we kind of feel interested in mm-hmm. or we think are going to be popular. Mm-hmm. I think there's a danger in external validation. Um, I think that from a an evolutionary point of view, I think humans are a social species, and I think fitting in with the crowd uh, is a survival mechanism. Uh, if you 
10,000 years ago when we were living in a cave, if you didn't fit in with the crowd and you were a bit of a maverick, you were going to die. There was no way that you could survive without the support of your peer group. Uh, And I think we're in a position now 10,000 years later where we're kind of hardwired still to be uh, kind of generally sociable species and we like external validation um i think we're just wired that way it's just you get this endorphin fix when someone says i really love that um because you feel you're communicating part of yourself articulately to them so um that external validation is a very very powerful trigger and that's what social media is and that's what uh, Facebook and Insta have done so well as, you know, they've connected us to tens of thousands of people. Um, but if you're out in the field and you're going to a location that you've seen a bunch of photographs from before, it takes a certain degree of self-discipline to ignore that stuff. I had a guy in a workshop in Spain. Um, I, I won't mention his name, but he knows who he is if he listens to this. Uh, and We'd gone to one of the most famous beaches on the north coast of Spain, a really incredible beach with just incredible uh, rock architecture. Um, And the conditions were fabulous. We had really super light. And you expect people to point their cameras straight at the money shot, you know, for what, what you would consider the most dramatic thing. And I'd got them all set up and he was really happy with where he was. And I went for a little walk and I came back about five minutes later and I found him photographing an old wooden door uh, on a little shed that was at the side of the beach. Um, and I was just so thrilled. I was so thrilled. I was just absolutely stoked for the guy because he, he saw the sea stacks, but he was really interested in this old rusty door uh, with peeling paint. And, you know, you could see age and stories and all this type of stuff. And And that I thought, that that was just a defining moment, you know, because he'd really embraced that concept of shooting what he what he liked. Now, if he posts a photograph on social media of a shitty old door, or he posts an incredible light uh, shot of a, an incredibly dramatic coast, it's a no brainer which one's going to get more popularity. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but he doesn't give it. He doesn't give a damn because he knows why he's there and he knows what he's interested in. So I was really touched by that. So uh, I've gone on for a little bit now, as as I have a tendency to do. But yeah, social media is making it all a bit homogenous. And the people whose work I love are people who tend not to shoot the obvious. Mm-hmm. No, I'm I'm the same way. I feel like uh, the people that I most admire and respect and enjoy looking at their work tends to be people that are shooting scenes that I've never seen before that probably you would never know where they took the photo unless they told you. And it's done in such a way that is super evocative and causes you to think like, how would have I even found that scene? Right. Um, I think, yeah, I have, I have such a high appreciation of that type of photography. What would you say to people that are like just starting out and, you know, falling into this. um, I mean, I guess it's a, some of it's, some of, some of it's like we're hardwired for it, like you said, and some of it's part of everyone's journey, but, and I don't want to say it's like a negative thing to fall into these traps, but what would you say to people that maybe are starting out and kind of starting to fall into these traps of, um, you know, shooting for the like and, you know, getting the endorphin rush from social media versus, or does it matter? Like, that's because I've, well, yeah, um, <laughs> it's a tough no, subject. <laughs> uh, 
the 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 joy of of doing a live uh, conversation like this is that you don't have a chance to go back and say don't do that um, <laughs> i i whenever i give talks if i give a talk in front of 500 people i don't prepare a talk because I like to be spontaneous. Mm -hmm. I, I like to have things that are coming out of my mouth being how I am at that moment in time. So I don't actually write anything down. So that question evokes a certain response in me. Um, and the, the first thing that came into my mind in terms of chasing likes and things like that is that some people are just like that. You know, so, some people want their ego fueled mm -hmm. some some people are in it for popularity some people are in it to be better uh however you can grade uh, i mean the thing is that people are using likes as some measure of quality um and clearly anyone who understands quality knows that popularity and quality don't always walk hand in hand uh i'm sure justin bieber is a really talented guy but he's not Mozart um, and I think Bieber has more followers than Mozart's music um, but no one's going to say that Bieber's a better composer than Mozart so um, popularity is certainly not uh, uh, a measure of, of quality but if people want to get into that then that's fine you know if, if that's what drives them and that's what gets them out of bed at four o'clock on a Saturday morning then that's great you know because they're better outside experiencing nature than um, making another hundred thousand on the stock market. So, um, if I was, when I run workshops, I'm one of the first things I say to people is if you can let go of expectation and think about, I try not to think at all. I mean, people ask me all the time, what do you think about when you're in the landscape? And I say nothing. I'm certainly not thinking about composition. I'm certainly not thinking about techniques. I'm, I don't tend to think about very much at all. I just I like to just get inquisitive about things. So I think if you if you go into the field and shoot what catches your eye, uh, I did a a YouTube video not so long ago about the secret of creativity, and the gist of it was that I just had a a, a lady on a workshop ask me that very question, which is what should I be shooting. Um, and it made me go off into a bit of a tirade uh, about, <laughs> well, tirade's the wrong word. I wasn't irate. I meant more like a, a kind of soliloquy. That's a better word. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of just started talking about, well, what do you notice? And she said, oh, well, obviously the arch, you know, the big the big arch over there is incredible and stuff. Um, but then she said, I really love the striations of these rocks and I really love the way the water's flowing through there and all this type of stuff. So there was a whole bunch of stuff that she was noticing. And I said, well, that's what you photograph. Um, and the analogy I used at the time was, and, you know, uh, this to me is probably one of the most uh, lucid uh, e explanations of creativity that I can really think of which is let's say you've got six of us and we all go to the beach and I've been there before and I've got five people with me who haven't been there before. And instead of having a camera in our hand, we have a notebook and we all get to wander about the beach for a couple of hours. And instead of making photographs, we're just taking notes of things that we're engaging with. So you can say, all right, I really love the way the water's flowing over those rocks, or I really love that starfish that's down there, or I really love the patterns in the seaweed, or the lichens on those rocks, or the way the clouds are flowing, or the light, or whatever it may be. So everyone's just writing down notes. Then we go back to the house and we make a cup of coffee. 
and we've all got our notes on the table. Who has the best notes? <laughs> yeah. It, are, are my notes best because I've been there before? Uh, are my notes best because I've written lots of notes? Or is the person that's just writing notes for the first time, is their opinion equally valid? So I think of photography as note-taking. When I'm out in the field with a camera, I'm sketching the landscape. I'm just noticing things that I like, that catch my eye, that intrigue me, that engage my attention. And some of that sparks a creative, I call it creative awareness, um, where I'm starting to feel a relationship with that content because I think there's a strong geometric influence and an atmospheric influence that we have. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of triggers. So whatever those triggers are, there tends to be the things that will trigger a note. So the guy who's just writing notes for the first time or the lady who's writing notes for the 10th time or the professional that's been writing notes their entire life, all of those notes are valid. Mm -hmm. And I have no right to turn around to anybody and say that note is wrong. You know, what are you writing notes about starfish for when there's a there's a solar eclipse over there? <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, if, if if they wanted to look at a starfish instead of a solar eclipse, that's absolutely fine. Uh, so I think if I was talking to people who are starting out, and I do talk to people who are who are at the beginning of their journeys, I say don't listen to people just because they've been doing this for 20 years. You know, if, if something they say resonates with you, but I, part of my YouTube channel's purpose right now is to look at some of these things that we consider to be absolute truths um, and, and just say, well, really, is, is this an absolute truth? Or can we look at it from another point of view and perhaps create a relationship with our work and our lives that's just a little bit more organic and innate? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's a long answer <laughs> no i think it's interesting because um one of the uh one of the things that i was hoping to kind of talk to you about was kind of how different ways of teaching photography can can produce vastly different results for the people that are being taught yeah absolutely and i think that's kind of what you're starting to kind of dive into a little bit is how you know if you were to be out there and say, no, you absolutely need to take a picture of this solar eclipse and here's how you do it. Like that person may not be interested in taking a picture of the solar eclipse. They might be interested in taking a picture of a starfish, like you said. So, right. um, and maybe that's, maybe they're the best starfish photographer on planet earth and they just don't know it yet. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, I have been playing guitar since I was about 13, and I see an awful lot of parallels in learning musical instruments and learning other art forms, whether it's dance or photography or painting. Um, we, there's a bunch of theory that explains certain things. Uh, there's techniques. Uh, so in guitar playing, there's any number of different techniques, depending on the type of guitar player you want to be. Um, some guitar playing is more technical, some is far less technical, some is a lot more emotional. Uh, and photography is no different. So I think that the way I'm addressing education, because the, the new company that I formed this summer, Expressive Photography, uh, the clues in the name, um, <laughs> is really focused on us trying to discover uh, ourselves. Because I think photography is a catalyst. 
yes, it's an art form. Yes, it's an expressive medium. Yes, it's a reflective medium. Landscape photography also is a lifestyle choice, getting out into the countryside, one would assume will make us healthier and and more uh, wholesome in, in our lives. Um, I'm very reluctant to tell people what to do. Uh, I'm very reluctant to tell people what to point their cameras at. Uh, now, I think depending on the type of photographer you want to be dictates how much technique you need, just the same way as if you want to play like Joe Satriani, you need a lot of technique. Uh, if you want to play like the Sex Pistols, you need a lot less technique. Uh, so if you want to shoot like Mark Adamus, you need a bunch of technique. If you want to do uh, more intimate, organic, uh, less technical things, then obviously you need a lot less technique. See how I didn't mention any names there. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's kind of weird now because... I went through a massively technical phase and now I'm in a period where I'm far less technical and just shooting a lot more single exposures. I mean, a lot of my images now I only process them in five, six, seven minutes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't spend very long in front of the computer with images anymore. And whereas, you know, maybe five or six years ago, I was much, much more into, you know, exposure blending and focus stacking and loads of technique and spending, you know, a couple of hours or three or four hours on an image. Um, I I think it's a dangerous thing to try and stereotype what landscape photography is. And, and I think people should have the right to discover who they are through landscape photography, because I think all the arts are is a path for us to discover ourselves. Mm. Photography has taught me more about myself than any other reason for picking up a camera. It, it has become the sole reason I really make photographs is because i find out more about myself um so praise is you know it, it it sounds really kind of shallow and self-centered but you know it's interesting it's interesting though that you you bring it up in that way because um it seems like your approach to experiencing learning executing uh landscape photography is far less uh, location and condition dependent than you said, Mark Adamus. I mean, most of Mark's photography is highly dependent on some pretty amazing locations um, with yep. pretty amazing conditions, with pretty amazing processing. Uh, and yep. um, it's interesting that, because I think there's a lot of people out there that are, kind of seeking out that quote unquote style of photography. But in my mind, when I, I guess when I think about that style versus what you're describing, it's, it's really, really, really different. Right. I mean, it's, um, and I, I can't quite put my finger on like how specifically different they are, but um, one feels like it's more driven by, what we were talking about before, like popularity and wow factor and likes and uh, dopamine and ego. And the other <laughs> is more about kind of self-discovery. And um, and I'm not saying there's one's better than the other. I just think there's a lot of contrast between the two styles of... Well, there is. I mean, stylistically, they, they couldn't be more different. But 
I know Mark. I know Mark really well. I mean, we did an expedition to Tibet in 2015 and I got to spend about three weeks with Mark. Um, and he's an amazing guy. I absolutely love Mark to bits and his work is incredible. Uh, it's not to everyone's taste, um, but he has done more to uh shape the contemporary photography scene than probably anybody else um now the thing about all of the stuff about popularity and likes that's a byproduct of mark's relationship with the landscape because the guy absolutely loves being in the landscape it's his whole reason for existence uh and nobody's more passionate about the landscape and its conservation than mark so his his images are he's a confident guy he he has a lot to say he he has opinions the same as most guys uh, or people do these days um and his work is is an expression of his love for the landscape uh, and adventure and remote places and drama and amazing meteorological and atmospheric conditions so i think mark's work is very true to him uh, and it's certainly very authentic to him now because a lot of people have started to copy that style, um, either means that they are also uh, of that passionate personality, or there's a there's a stage where people are starting to do it because it's popular. And I don't know, and and it's not for me. Probably to a little say. bit of both, right? Um, it, it may be. It may be. Uh, you know, one of the things I've tried to do these days is not try to assume anybody else's motive for doing anything um because i think we can spend an awful lot of time externalizing these questions rather than actually addressing them in ourselves mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. if i have some spare if i have spare brain power i'm going to try and uh try and understand my place in the world and my relationship with the landscape so um i i think if we allow it landscape photography can teach us a lot about ourselves and and some of those things can be surprising um you know i, I think if we allow it then landscape photography can truly reflect our moods and our subconscious uh but only if we allow it to happen because if we guide it and channel it and try to manipulate it then that's not creativity because we're setting off with expectation and we're only going to get to the places that we can imagine. Uh, whereas I'm much more interested in working an image in a far more let it happen type of way uh, so that I don't think about it and I'm not necessarily thinking about a direction. I just allow the thing to evolve until I get that aha moment where it's like, yes, that that's, that's who I am right now. Um, and all an image is for me is a reflection of that who I am. Because I don't make photographs in the field, I sketch in the field. So what I'm doing is I'm just walking around, seeing things that interest me, and they're not necessarily ever going to become photographs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I'm 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 not in the field making photographs. I'm in the field sketching and engagement. So you make a photograph in front of the computer. That that's when you take raw data, which may be well exposed to the right with no blow and highlights so the image might be like a stop and a half two stops brighter than you want the final file to be so there's there's an element of exploration involved in processing where we take well exposed raw files and we start to find our mood point which we use the exposure slider for uh, i've i've talked a lot in videos about um lightroom isn't a technical uh, platform 
it's an emotional platform. It's all the sliders. The names of the sliders mean nothing. What does highlights mean? What does shadows mean? Who gives a damn? It, it doesn't make a blind bit of difference because all we're talking about is luminosity and contrast. They're the two words that we use when we're processing. And then luminosity and contrast control emotion. They change people's perspectives and they change the impact of the photograph. So I, I approach Lightroom and processing from a very emotional and innate point of view so that each image that gets churned out at the end of a little session is a byproduct of who I am at that moment. And if I do it again tomorrow, it'll be a different image <laughs> because I'm not the same. Oh, totally. And I, I didn't mean to imply that... Um... Um, you know, seeking out incredible landscapes in exotic locations with famous people can't yield that type of experience or that type of um, no. self-discovery process. I was just trying to explain how um, it seems to me like there's a kind of inherently different um intentionality behind those two styles of teaching um that that well marks you know yeah teachings teaching is a different thing i think people going out you know or learning an awful lot of (laughs) yeah yeah it's i i guess it's very difficult to separate um you know this whole word about professional photographer (laughs) these days i mean it it's I, I ran a workshop recently, and at the end of the workshop, everyone everyone on the workshop handed out a business card except me. Uh, it was it was really really funny, um, you know, because everyone's got a website, such and such photography, um, and everyone kind of considers themselves to be a semi professional photographer now to a certain extent. I mean, the word amateur comes from the French, which means for the love of it. You know, it, 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 that's what, that's what amateur means is, is for the love. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, Yeah. And, but people have forgotten it. People think that the word amateur means unprofessional or somehow uh, unskilled. Yeah. It's a lesser thing where it doesn't mean that at all. It just means that someone is, um, out there for the love of it. You wouldn't go and see an amateur surgeon (laughs) <laughs> but you're quite happy to, but you, you can enjoy the work of an amateur photographer right. uh, quite often a lot more than people who call themselves professionals sure. so my i mean ed, the education of photography for me is the most important thing in my life uh it's the thing that interests me more than anything else uh for the sole reason that i think it's not done very well um I look back on my own journey as a as a photographer and there was a limited amount of learning material available at the time and what there was was written by people who had been shooting film 40 years ago and were applying more or less the same techniques to a, to a digital platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were talking about composition and they were talking about lines and leading lines and shapes and curves and uh, the rule of thirds and you know where to place things in the frame and what to do with edges and what to do with corners. And it was just a bunch of rules. Um, and the reason I wrote my first night photography book is because I couldn't find anything that wasn't a rule of thumb. So the first book I wrote was, was how to do night photography without relying on rules of thumb. Um, so I, I think there's my personal opinion is if, if if landscape photography was being taught brilliantly, then everyone would be, would be happy. 
no one would be searching for these elusive answers. Like, what's the point of all this? Um, and why don't I like my images? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so my I've I've kind of got a bit of a two to three year mission ahead of me now, moving back to Scotland and producing some learning material that's going to start looking at the teaching of landscape photography uh, from a far more individual way uh, so that people can discover their own path. Uh, because if I point someone down a path, that's not necessarily their path. Um, and I've spoken to hundreds of people over the years uh, from a teacher point of view uh, where they were nearly giving up photography because they'd been shuffled down a, an avenue that they didn't feel represented who they were. So, yeah, uh, I, you know, this this is my kind of uh, pass me my cape moment where I'm going on a crusade to try and uh, revolutionize the way that landscape photography is taught. <laughs> uh, that's, that's really exciting. I, I'm wondering, as you were talking, I was thinking a little bit about... Um, you know, how people kind of end up on these certain paths and there's all these, you know, all the books are talking about rules that you should follow and things like that. But I wonder, do you feel like, well, I guess maybe I can just speak to my own experience uh, a little bit and kind of play off of that. One of the things that kind of happened to me that I, I think happens to a lot of other people is that you kind of find this love for photography or for outdoor photography or nature photography and you're doing it for a little while and people start to you know notice it and give you compliments and things like that and maybe someone buys a print or you know someone wants to hang your photo in a coffee shop or and and it's and mm -hmm. this kind of commercialization and uh you know, making money off of photography things starts to happen to you right. where you're like, Oh, I can maybe make some money on at this. And, and maybe you have a big sale where you sell like $10,000 worth of prints to a, to a hospital or something. And, and then I think, yeah. I, I feel like for, at least for me, and I think it happens to a lot of people like that kind of changes the way you, it changes your relationship with photography a little bit where it's no longer about, being in nature and just experiencing it and loving it and discovering it into this thing where you're motivated by external factors such as money. <laughs> and um, I can look at my own work and when that I can actually point to a specific year where that actually happened and my photography actually changed right. quite a bit. And I wouldn't say necessarily for the better, Right, right. And um, I just wonder, do you think that that's something that happens to a lot of people where where they're kind of on this path and then they get kind of diverted off of it for for reasons that maybe they weren't consciously aware of? I think it's a really curious thing. I mean, I, I think the notion of, of professional photography is um, very different from the reality. Um, there are There's probably a very small percentage of people who call themselves professional photographers who actually make all of their money from photography right. uh, as opposed to having a as opposed to having a job as a dentist or uh, an accountant or whatever um, and going out at the weekends or going on extended vacations or photo or workshops or whatever and making very good images and selling a few uh, either in magazines or writing for magazines or prints or, or you know I mean there's not many other ways you can make uh, money as a photographer these days 
obviously the number of people out there running workshops who have regular jobs is increasing as mm -hmm. well. So the, the, the marketplace is, is hugely saturated these days. Um, I am a full-time photographer, so I make all of my income from, from landscape photography. Now, I... I'm just I'm I'm worried that if I say anything, my Pinocchio nose is going to bust the front of the of the the computer screen. Um, I, so I'm really trying not to say anything that's not true. I never intended to be a poor artist, you know. Uh, so being fiscally viable was always important to me. I like I said, I, I had a career before. I didn't leave that career with millions of dollars uh, because I was an ethical banker. Uh, so I didn't have tons and tons of money. So I have to make a living as a landscape photographer. I, I, I don't have some massive nest egg that allows me to never work again. Um, so I'm, I'm very aware of making a living as a landscape photographer, mm -hmm. but I I'm also very aware of how easy it is to slip into the the trap of doing the same as everybody else, going to the same places, doing the same things, shooting the same images, taking people to the same place, saying the same things as everybody else. Um, and first of all, it would bore me to tears. Uh, but secondly, it wouldn't sit with my sense of morality, I suppose. And also, I... I want to keep engaged. I want to be interested and I want to be true to myself all the time. So every year I go out and I make different photographs. I might go to some of the same places, but every year I go out and do something different because I intentionally um, leave that lens behind. You know, if I shot it all at 12 mil the year before, I'll go out with an 80 to 400 this year just because it totally forces a different perspective. So I'm very open to change and I'm very open to risk uh, to a certain extent. So we're going to get all deep and personal now. When I was 19, 18 or 19, my, my father passed away and losing a parent that young, you know, when, you, when you're a teenager still, um, it, it really hammered home a very strong sense of mortality in me. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I was very aware of... <clears throat> the fragility of life at quite a young age. And I really set out to live my life in a way that was a celebration of life. Um, so I've always taken risks and I've always done crazy things and traveled and, you know, never put money first. Um, and photography can allow that. It can be another catalyst to experiencing things that we would never experience. I mean, you know, I was in the Gobi seven times over the last three years, uh, you know, camping in the Gobi Desert. And, you know, we, we get to go to some incredible places like Tibet and, you know, Lapland and Morocco. And, you know, you, you get to go to amazing places and experience things that you would never get to experience. Mm -hmm. um, so photography should be a celebration of our life. It should be a celebration of our uniqueness. It should be a celebration of our perspectives and it should be a pathway. It should be a gateway to our evolution uh, so that we become happier in our skin. Um, so this whole, the, the phrase I was going to say is that nobody wakes up in the morning and says, oh, today I really aspire to being average. <laughs> you know, no one 
nobody does that. Nobody wakes up. Nobody drives to a sunrise shoot thinking, ah, well, I hope I make some mediocre photographs today. Everyone strives for excellence, you know, or, or, well, I'm not going to say they should because I don't like to tell people what to do, but I certainly do. You know, when I turned pro or when I decided to turn pro, one of the first things I asked myself was, you know, can I make a difference? Can I provide something that's not just vanilla uh, and is already present in the marketplace? So I was very conscious of could I bring a unique take on on this particular art Mm -hmm. form? So I'm all about individuality. I'm all about the validity of everyone's perspective. Um, And I think social media and striving for external validation and trying to be popular and going to the same places as everyone else and taking the same compositions as everyone else is not going to provide the growth that walking into an anonymous forest and finding uh, something that no no one's ever seen before. I, I just think they're different things. Yeah, they are different things. And, you know, I think people have rightly criticized this podcast in the past for kind of being a little preachy about, you know, don't shoot icons or, you know, go, go find your own path. You know, I think. Ah, can I, can I, can I interject there? Because that's a classic, that that's a classic, classic uh, analogy that you can parallel between learning to play uh, electric guitar and making photographs. So if we look at the way you learn how to play electric guitar, the reason I picked up electric guitar in the first place was listening to music by other guitar players, you know, whether it was Dave Gilmore or Rush, you know, Alex Lifeson or uh, Jimmy Page or Jimi Hendrix, you name it. I mean, there's so many amazing guitar players. So I picked up a guitar for the first time because I listened to a piece of music by someone else that so moved me that I thought I need to learn how to do that. And the first thing you do when you pick it up is you realize this is hard. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This is really hard. Uh, And I've spent nearly 40 years of my life and I'm still not, I'm a, I'm an okay guitar player. I'm a good guitar player maybe, but I'm not a great guitar player because I haven't spent tens of thousands of hours doing it. I've spent a lot of hours doing it. So the first thing we do is we, we understand the mechanism. So we understand that pressing on the strings changes the pitch and the way you hold your pick changes the sound that it makes and the way your amp works and all of these things. So there's a bunch of technical stuff and then there's theory. And then the first thing you want to do is learn to play the songs you love. So you plagiarize. So in terms of someone picking up a camera for the first time and looking at an image from, I don't know, uh, Mesa Arch, for example, they think, my God, I got to go to Mesa Arch because I want to take that photograph because it's such an amazing place. And that's totally valid. You know, that's the same as me learning how to play the solo out of another brick in the wall. You know, it's just a freaking great thing to play. And I, I, I could, I still do it. You know, I, I sometimes still pick up the guitar and play other people's tunes. Now that's not creativity, but it's damn fun. Mm-hmm. So I think if people want to, I mean, icons are icons for a reason. They're freaking impressive. You know, it doesn't matter where they are in the world, whether they're in, you know, the Badlands of Utah or the Highlands of Scotland or the North Coast of Spain or the Great Wall of China or whatever, you you name it. I mean, Banff National Park. Um, you know, icons are icons for, for a really good reason. Now, if you can go to an iconic place and shoot it in a way that's never been done before, then kudos to you. Now, 
the the point I'm making here is don't confuse these tripod mark uh, experiences where you're basically stood standing in the in the the footprints of the tens of thousands of people that have stood there before you. Understand it for what it is, which is an appreciation of the thing. Uh, a joy for the thing, but also a learning experience. Understanding the technicalities, it might be exposure blending, it might be how to uh, manage time, uh, which I consider the, the 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 ultimate superpower of photography is is the manipulation of time. So we can learn an awful lot through uh, walking in the footsteps of our peers or or our the the our predecessors. So I I I I'm not saying don't go and shoot icons at all, but I'm gonna say, listen, love them for what they are and see what you can learn from it. Um but it's not that's the same as me playing another brick in the wall and changing one note and saying it's my solo. <laughs> so there there's there's a there's a difference there. Uh, and I think people need to be honest with themselves. Kind of, I think you said it very well. It's, I think it's hard for people to hear it though, and because you know, there's so much, yeah. there's so much ego wrapped up in our photography, right? Like, even if it's a photo that's not original, that it's like it still required you to to take a lot of steps to be there at the right time with the right equipment and have some basic knowledge in order to produce that image. Um, and it's and it doesn't mean you shouldn't be proud of it either. But the point is, is like, like you said, like, be proud of what it is. Like you you learned, you learned how to produce an image that someone else has already taken. And you probably didn't necessarily exercise a great deal of creativity in that process, but you did execute maybe an objective or you learned something or something like that. But it doesn't mean, I don't know, it's. And I'm not trying to like, I'm, well, the, the, like, I'm not trying to be judgy about it. Like I think I mean I've shot plenty of icons too, and I still do, and I love it. But um, call it what it is, you know. It's well, I, I think you know the bottom line is Matt. We we all judge. I mean, it's the most natural thing in the world to do. We we do it every minute of every single day. Um, whether it's walking into a store and thinking I like that shirt is a judgment. Um, so there's it's a constant thing. We do it all the time. Um, all of these questions are really interesting topics of conversation, but what I tend to find is we externalize them. We're, we're talking about other people. Right. You know, it, it's almost like I'm not talking about myself anymore. It's like, it, well, this is what other people do. And I'm trying to steer people away from that or whatever. Now that's not the case. And what I think is happening less these days is people are asking these questions of themselves. Um, because it's all well and good for you and I to have this conversation, but unless someone listening is going to start to, this, to examine their own motives and think, well, well, why did I get into photography? Right, I got into photography because I worked like an idiot from Monday to Friday, and then I've got to take the kids to soccer practice on a Saturday, and then I've got to go to the hardware store and get the shelves to put up uh, in the study or whatever. And then Sunday morning, that's my time. So I got into photography to get out and into myself and into nature where I can smell the air and listen to the birds and watch the sunrise. That's why people get into landscape photography more often than not. I mean, that's probably the common path. Mm -hmm. Or they've made enough money that they can afford to take long vacations or whatever. So there's a whole bunch of reasons why we get into it. And then 
we think, oh, well, wait a minute, this is really hard. You know, just the same as, you know, you you walk into a guitar store and hand over $50,000 and buy Jimi Hendrix's Strat. Doesn't mean you can pay, play Purple Haze. <laughs> You know, that's that's not the way it works. And walking into B and H and spending a hundred grand on a phase one digital back and a bunch of fancy lenses doesn't make you a better photographer. Uh, but these aren't things that people necessarily want to hear. But people should really be asking themselves, well, why did I get into for, to photography in the first place? What was I hoping to get out of it? What gap in my life was I trying to fill? Am I doing so? Or have I been has my relationship with the landscape and my creativity being hijacked by something else so i that was a question i mean i i meditate a lot um less over the last couple of months because i've been super busy but over the last three three years or so i've meditated an awful lot and i've tinkered about inside my brain to a significant level by asking myself questions that are extraordinarily difficult to answer um and you have to be honest with yourself um, and I, I don't think I'm, I mean, I know hundreds of amazing photographers and I'm very, very grateful for people who think I'm a good photographer, but I, I don't even think about it in that regard because photography is a byproduct of my relationship with myself in the landscape. Um, and they're just snapshots in time, they're little moments. So I don't take them terribly seriously, even if I sell a big print, you know, yes, there's a fiscal reward for that, but it's that's not why I did it, you know. So, so I don't know. I, I think it's sorry. I, know, I, I mean, I love the um, I love this idea of kind of introspection and you know asking yourself questions. Like, what what kind of questions do you think people should be asking themselves in real in regards to their to their journey or their relationship <laughs> with uh, with landscape photography? The ones that come to their mind. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, I heard you say one, like, why are you there? Why are you doing this? You know, I think the answer to that question can you, to those kinds of questions can definitely lead you to maybe rethink your approach or I think it's always good to ask yourself questions like that. I, I think perhaps because I came from a business background and training and continual professional development were part of the job. Uh, you You basically had to analyze your performance and you had to look back on on how you reacted in the past and whether that was the most uh, productive way to move forward so i i came from a background uh, where margins of error were very small um, and pressure was high now landscape photography people make that for themselves they put themselves under insane amounts of pressure with their expectations with infamiliarity with their gear um, by heading out on a workshop unprepared, uh, having not touched their camera since the last workshop a year before uh, or six months before. Um, I, th I think people make pressure for themselves. I see it a lot on workshops, people under pressure, you know, can't remember where that button is, can't remember how this filter works, whatever it may be. And they are barriers to your creativity, because if you're out there worrying about how to move into manual mode um, or which button moves shutter speed and which one moves aperture and where the ISO button is and why the camera, when you press the shutter, makes takes 15 exposures, uh, all of these different things are barriers to creativity. So um, I think the questions that we ask ourselves are, 
uh, am I prepared to to put in the amount of time necessary to be the photographer I want to be? Um, is probably something that people don't ask. Which is, if if you look at Mark Adamus's work and you think, man, I I gotta shoot that. I I've got to go to uh, the tombstones in in the Arctic and make these photographs. You got to be prepared for a very long journey. You know, you, you've got to learn pretty much every trick in the book in contemporary landscape photography, and that's a big ask. You know, because Mark is dedicated to his technique and he's dedicated to his lifestyle. Um, typically, if I'm learning a new technique, I'll sit at my desk for eight hours a day for maybe a month, so that after eight hours a day for 30 days, it's hardwired. So it's just pure muscle memory. So when I see an image and I th- I'm not even thinking, this is what I have to do. I just do what feels like the way for that image to go. So I, I, I have a very innate relationship with my work. Have you noticed any non-technical similarities in terms of kind of the people that stand out in your mind as being some of your favorite or the greatest photographers in your mind, like either personality traits or uh, kind of their approach to the, the craft. Like, cause it, that's kind of what I'm getting at a little bit is I wonder if there's um, people that are just more predisposed to be better photographers because of certain um, innate qualities that they have as a person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think in, in inquisitiveness is, is something that if people are inquisitive, mm-hmm. um, and curious either how things work or, uh, why things are the way they are, or they have, I mean, how many people do you know, especially guys who, you know, we, I mean, I'm 52 and I, I'm still 17 in my head, you know, I, I still, I still feel like a kid in many aspects of my life. Um, but I, I, I haven't lost that curiosity that I had when I was 12 or 13 or 14. You know, we, we talk about, uh, uh, like a childlike mind, you know, holding on to that joy of discovery. You know, you only have to look at kids. I mean, how many times have you seen a kid playing in a puddle for an hour, um, you know, just fascinated with the way that the water ripples and throwing sticks into water and uh, jumping in puddles and feeling that joy of their relationship with the surface and, and the substance? Mm-hmm. If you do, you do that when you're 52 and people think, you know, they're going to carry you off to the, to, the, to the psychiatric ward. So... I think as photographers, it gives us a passport to engage our curiosity and our inquisitiveness and feed our childlike mind. So I'd say that most people who I really admire artistically and creatively are curious people. Um, I'd say the second trait is that we don't tend to take ourselves terribly seriously. Um, I, I am a big music fan, a really, really super music fan, and was a big, big fan of the rock band Rush. Uh, they just represented uh, an, an incredible talent and at the same time a humility in that they never took themselves terribly seriously. They they took their professionalism seriously, but they didn't take themselves seriously, even when they were selling out mega stadiums and, and platinum albums and stuff. 
And I think the great photographers who I, I really admire don't take themselves terribly seriously. There's still a childlike joy for what they do. And they do it because it's part of who they are. Um, and they don't do it for any other reason than they're curious and they have something to say, not to other people, but just to themselves. Um, so I wrote a post on Insta, I think it was yesterday or the day before, where I had this big realization that we talk about photography being a marriage between art and craft. You know, you've got to put in the time, learn your techniques, understand the craft you know, stand on the shoulders of giants, learn all the rules, learn all the guidelines, all of this type of stuff. And then understand that creativity is an artistic, expressive thing. And, and, and somehow photography is a marriage of these two things. And the big realization I had yesterday is that for me, photography is about being outside. It's, it's about being outside and loving being outside. And engaging with the world and through that engagement i find out what i call my innate aesthetic preference i don't necessarily i mean i think if you grew up in the west you grew up thinking that leonardo da vinci is a genius and michelangelo is a genius and picasso was a genius and rembrandt was a genius whereas if you grew up in indonesia you might go through half your life without knowing who leonardo da vinci was but you have your own aesthetic preference based on your culture so you get the society that we grew up in teaches us about aesthetics. Um, and I'm interested in what is my innate aesthetic preference. So it's not to do with the rule of thirds and the, the golden ratio and um, that things need to go from this place to this place and you can't put something in the middle of the frame and you can't have something in the edge of a frame and you can't do this and you can't do that. I say, fuck it all, to be honest, <laughs> because I can do whatever I want. You know, if I want to stick a single leaf in an empty frame way up in the bottom left-hand side or top left-hand side of the frame, that's where it's going. Yeah. And if it pleases me and it makes me laugh sometimes, if it's, if it's flicking the middle finger to society, then all the better, <laughs> you know, it, it's someone tells me I can't do something. It makes me want to do it. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> It's funny. I was, um, I was on a, I think I mentioned earlier I was on a podcast. I think it was two nights ago. Um, it's it's called the Beginners Photography Podcast. So all of his listeners are all people right. that are just starting photography, and it was kind of a live podcast. And so they had people live on Facebook asking me questions as we talked. And one of the questions cool. was about the rule of thirds. You know, like 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 yeah. how how strictly do you follow the rule of thirds <laughs> and yeah. you know my answer was like well actually when i first started i didn't even know about the rule of thirds i was just taking pictures of things that i thought were interesting <laughs> but then when i learned about it no what and then exactly what happened exactly I, I i had exactly the same realization not so long ago that when i first started making landscape photographs they were better than when I learned a bunch of rules. Isn't that crazy? Um, yeah. So I, I had to train myself to kind of unlearn them to a certain extent. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I wasted nearly a decade doing that. Yeah. So, you know, going way back to that question that you asked such a long time ago, which is, you know, the type of things that teaching people, how do you teach people when they're first starting out is... Get, you know, understand how the tool works. There are idiosyncrasies of our tool. 
um you know you need to know where how to take the lens cap off and put the lenses on and you know know how to get an exposure and focus and understand some of the mechanics um i i had a client once um you know again you can't mention names but they'd been on a course learning how to customize their camera but that was the least of their problem <laughs> you know <laughs> it's it's um it seemed like a really odd thing to do is you know focus on some minutiae about putting a custom function on a certain button when you've got far more serious compositional requirements or technical requirements so yeah you know i'm i i I do want to pull back from being judgmental again uh because it's an it's a natural thing to do is to start having opinions about things but um right we we have to be free Uh, you know art should be free when i pick up a guitar i can make some really disturbing noises that may not be very very popular but i sure as hell like making them <laughs> yeah. So you should be able to express yourself how you want to. Yeah. Well, I noticed um I noticed that you're starting to partner up with um some of my favorite photographers to do workshops and I'd be yeah. I'm kind of yeah. curious um kind of what you're trying to pull off cuz it's it's interesting because I when you so we're talking about uh Alex Noriega Hans Strand, Ryan Dyer, Adam Gibbs, um, who've all been on the podcast. And um, it's interesting because when I think of those, when I think of those four photographers, I feel like they, they all kind of have a similar mindset that you were talking about before, you know, like taking risks and not following rules and not taking themselves too seriously um, and having like a very kind of, individualized um kind of personal relationship with the landscape and i think it's interesting that those are the people that you're kind of pairing up with them what kind of what do you what do you have in mind with with that with those partnerships um first first and foremost it's not a coincidence (laughs) Um, (laughs) you're right i figured (laughs) um it's the world is getting smaller, at, um, but at the same time, we we get more polarized to a certain extent. Um, I obviously live uh, in Europe. Um, like I said, I'm moving back to the west coast of Scotland shortly. Um, and a lot of these people, like Alex Noriega, for example, I love Alex's work. I mean, I'm such a fan of Alex's work. And when we started talking about doing something together, it was an opportunity to to provide something in the marketplace that's kind of unique because Alex and I have very similar opinions on certain things, um, but we're going to do a, a workshop on the West Coast of Scotland in October next year. And it's an opportunity for him to go somewhere he's never been. I, it's somewhere I know, of course, intimately. So for, from the participants' point of view, they get to come with two photographers who are kind of expressive photographers where we're interested in the sort of individuality side of things and helping people to nurture their own creativity. Mm. Um, but at the same time, it's an opportunity to see someone with Alex's skill in an environment that he's never been to before. 
So, you know, it's going to be such an amazing thing for him to go to a beach for the first time at the same time as the six participants are seeing it for the first time and how he engages with it and the types of things that he notices, I think is going to be really insightful. Um, and obviously, from my point of view, even though I'm going to play, well, some places that I've been before, we will be going to some places that I haven't been as well. So Alex and I will both be seeing things for the first time. The trip that Ryan and I are putting together is somewhere that uh, we've I've never been for a start. And I think it's somewhere he's had limited experience in. So it's the same with Hans Strand. He's going to the north coast of Spain, as is Adam Gibbs. So they're both going to a place that they've never been. So it's an opportunity, first of all, to hang out with my friends. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> you know, really, uh, you know, I, I want my work to be joyful and fun. Um, these are people who I've got a huge, huge amount of respect for. Um, uh, Anne-Christine and I uh, last weekend flew to Germany to go and see Hans's exhibition uh, that he has on there right now. Uh, oh, so, cool. we, you know, we jumped on a uh, we jumped on a flight, flew for an hour and a half, rented a car, drove for two hours, stayed in a hotel for two nights to go and see Hans's exhibition. So that's the regard I have for the guy's work. Um, you know, I mean, it was a, a fairly significant um, you know, allocation of time and resources to to go and do that. So for me to get to go and hang out with these people is just a joy. I mean, I I love these guys. I love their work. And like you said, we we don't that we have a we have an approach to the landscape that's very organic. Um, I, I think all of us are uh, kind of lighthearted and inquisitive. And the other real thing is we and we touched on this earlier is it's having a confidence to say exactly what we want to say without feeling that we're letting the side down somehow we're not we're not making the glory shots perhaps or we're we're exposing our emotional side or we're exposing our weaknesses or our vulnerability or whatever and i think it's an opportunity to put something on the market that's really unusual i mean the trips that we're putting together are they're almost one offs um you know, every every one of them is going to be quite a unique experience. So yeah, it, it was more an opportunity for me to hang out with my friends and offer something in the marketplace that's that's very unusual. And that's going to grow in the future. You know, I think there's going to be more type of events and things like that where we're going to pull together kind of photographers who are known for, for well, being expressive, I guess. Mm. And uh, maybe that's a good segue to say, how can people learn more about what you're doing? Okay, um, you can follow me on Insta. So it's Alistair underscore Ben. Um, I have a YouTube channel, uh, which I dare say, you know, you might post a link to or something on your on the podcast page. Uh, my company's Expressive Photography and the URL is HTTP Expressive dot photography. So it's not a dot com. So it's just Expressive dot photography. Uh, and uh, so Insta, YouTube, website and my individual portfolio is alistairben.com um so they're they're the main areas of exploration should anyone be interested in in finding out more about what i do my focus over the next couple of years like i said is is to produce a video series uh in conjunction with the youtube channel so vlogging is going to be a big thing i've really embraced that i really enjoy it and i think I have something that needs to be said and I enjoy saying it. <laughs> he said well, that's, arrogantly. A, that's a good combination. <laughs> <I have. laughs> 
Um, well, you know, it, it's becoming an increasingly popular outlet for people. And, you know, there's a ton of content on there. And there's people with, I mean, my channel is tiny uh, because it's only been going a few months. So there's people out there with hundreds of thousands of subscribers. Um, but again, uh, I I feel I have something unique to say and, and I'm just enjoying seeing it, to be fair. Um, and then the video series I'm looking at is is going to be looking at how to approach photography from a, a more organic, innate, personalized way. So it's how to find yourself as a photographer rather than learning how to play Dave Gilmore's Another Brick in the Wall. <laughs> right. Awesome. Well, who do you think would be um, interesting to have on the show? <clears throat> well, the... The I listened to Adam Gibbs a, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he mentioned Theo Bosboom, and that is a name I would, without doubt, love to put forward again. Uh, Theo is Dutch um, and has been very uh, well acclaimed in numerous competitions, uh, international competitions, uh, and it's always for his very, very individualistic and uh expressive and unique approach uh, he he just shoots stuff in a way that nobody else does um and again some of the stuff he posts you just think god it 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 takes such confidence in your own um self actualization rather than looking for external validation so he's a very very good guy uh so theo again i'd love to put forward um the the guy I'm running the Finland trip with in January next year is an Italian photographer called Andrea Pozzi. Uh, that's A-N-D-R-E-A. And then his surname is P-O-Z-Z-I or Z-Z-I, I guess you guys say. Yeah. Um, he's Italian and he, well, put it this way. The first time I met him, I met him in Lapland last year. I've had contact with him online for about 15 years uh, we've been big big fans of each other's work for a long long time and and had numerous email conversations and i just bumped into him in lapland in in january we were hiking up and, and there was two other people there and uh me and Anne christine bumped into this guy and he was hugging a tree he was underneath a frozen tree wrapped around it hugging it uh just, <laughs> just so <laughs> joyful to be in that place um and we started talking and it was just his enthusiasm for the experience is just incredible. So I absolutely love him to bits and can't wait to get up to Finland again in uh, in January with him. And another name who I'm not sure if you will have come across or not is Sandra Bartocha, who is a German lady. Yes. Yeah, um, I've been trying to get her on the podcast for probably a year now. I really like her okay. stuff yeah i like her stuff she's just really yeah. she's just incredibly busy yeah she is and and i actually spoke uh on messenger with her today and i think she's had an accident or something oh, or, no. or something this week so uh yeah she she because i was going to be having a chat with her this week but uh she 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 messaged me and apologized that she'd she'd had a bit of mil for, uh, misfortune so but again i just wanted to mention her because i just adore her work it's really good um 
so yeah, yeah, she's 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 great. So well, it's uh, Andrea's definitely someone. And again, the problem with a lot of these people is we we we're just crazy busy. I mean, <laughs> I know. after Lapland, I think he was in, he went to Russia and then he was in Patagonia, and you know, the, we're, we're he's just kind of all over the place. But yeah, Andrea's a great guy. Cool. I'll email you his uh, email address. Awesome. Well, Alistair, this has been really fun, and um, I really had a, a great time talking to you. Yeah, me too. Well, thank you. It, it's uh, uh, yeah, just just stick in the Duracell batteries and let me bubble away. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks to Alistair for joining us on the podcast. I really enjoyed our discussion and I'm really excited about your new model of teaching. I think it's sorely needed in today's environment of landscape photography, so keep up the great work. Well, if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review over on iTunes. It's absolutely one of the best ways to support the podcast, other than supporting us on Patreon, of course. Um, You can also join the conversation over on Nature Photographers Network, or NPN, and over on Patreon. There's been some great comments and some fantastic discussion worth checking out. Not only that, but NPN is the premier community for landscape and nature photographers. If you have not joined yet, you are truly missing out. So what are you waiting for? Well, over on Patreon, we have also been doing themed photo contests where patrons submit photographs based on a theme. The current theme is changing seasons. So let's see all of those great photographs over on the community board. I will be sending the winner a $20 gift card. Well, as we have previously mentioned, we have finally reached one of our goals that we set for the podcast back in 2017. I promised in 2017 that when we reached the $1,000 a month mark over on Patreon, thank you, that I would develop a Landscape Photography Conservation Award. I have developed the criteria for that award, and I am actively seeking nominations. You can learn more about how to nominate other photographers or yourself in the liner notes. We have received some amazing donations and sponsorships from listeners and brands that are aligned with our message of responsible landscape photography. So far, the award is over $1,500, and we have some amazing bonus prizes given to us by some amazing brands, including Shimoda Designs. Ian and his amazing team at Shimoda have sent me the next generation of their 60-liter camera backpack, which I am about to put through all the tests this fall in the field. So, with that being said, Shimoda is donating to the winner of the Landscape Conservation Award a camera bag of their choice, a core unit, and a roller and accessory case, a $779 value. Uh, Next up, we have Reed Art and Imaging. Uh, Reed is a fine art print lab located in Denver, Colorado. They're personally my print lab of choice for my high-end acrylic prints, and they're donating to the winner of the Landscape Conservation Award a $500 credit towards the purchase of one of their amazing acrylic prints. Well, next up is Tamron. Uh, The amazing camera lens manufacturer is donating to the winner of the award a 45mm f1.8 lens, a $599 value. Next up, we have Viewbug. Viewbug is a popular photo sharing and contest website. They are donating a Pro Plus membership to the winner of the award, which is $179 value. And lastly, QT Luang is donating a limited edition copy of his award-winning photo book, Treasured Lands. 
I've personally got to enjoy his amazing book in person and I can tell you it's absolutely one of the best photo books on the market. This limited edition version of his book is valued at $245. Thank you, QT. And of course, I would be remiss if I did not give a special shout out to some of the amazing people that have made this award possible. These are our patrons over on Patreon that are contributing at the $20 a month level and higher, and you too can have your name read. I also really encourage listeners to support these individuals however you can. If you recognize their name, go check them out. For example, we have Gary Randall. He does amazing photo workshops in the Pacific Northwest. Definitely check him out. You have Matthias. Uh, He is actually going to be hosting some workshops up in Norway soon. You have Danny LeFrancois. She does incredible one-on-one workshops up in Banff in Canada. And lots, lots of other people. We have David Kingham from NPN. We have Anton Everine, who creates the amazing luminosity masking panel called Arc Panel. We also have Michael Howard, Jack Curran, Eric Stensland, who if, you, if you've never been to his gallery in Estes Park, Colorado, you should check it out. It's incredible. You have Chris Rice, Jeff Peterson, who does amazing wildlife photography, Charlotte Gibb, who does absolutely incredible landscape photography from Yosemite and beyond. We have Laurie Berenson, William Nurse, Ken Dono, James Bakavoy, Richard Wong, Zachary Smith, Frank Otto Peterson, and my man, Michael Rung. All right, well, let's talk about who I'm excited to have coming up on the podcast. Last week, I was really excited to record with the legendary photographer Ian Plant, Um, I'm really excited to share that episode with you next. We also have Aaron Nace, the founder of Flurn, Brenda Petrella, photographer from Vermont, and Franca Gabler. Uh, She's a photographer obsessed, in a good way, with Yosemite. Uh, On the podcast, she shares her views on how she takes photos that are personal to her vision in such a popular place. And we also have my, my friend and patron of the podcast, Dan Hawk, who will be joining us from the Pacific Northwest. All right. Well, thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.